Hold on here a minute. I gotta get my phone off. Okay, there we go. It's so off. Na- so now you're being a professional? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, here we are again. Uh, Theology on Mission Lecture. Uh, wait. Uh, <laughs> the lectureship comes around every June. It's a little early to uh, promo that, but hey, why not? Hey, we don't want to lecture anybody here, folks. We're here to have a conversation. We're not here, here to lecture you, only lectureship you. No, we're not going to do that either, but folks, here we are in the Griffith Sound Studio. Why'd you cut the music off so fast? Come on, you do that every <laughs> time. Know it's cut off. All right, I brought it back. Bring it back. I ain't done yet. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here on a Theology on Mission Lectureship. We're sitting here in the Griffith Sound Studio that, that Holes Club put together, and there's no pictures in this room. It's really stark. Are we ever going to like juice this place up a little bit with some ambiance? You bring it down here, and I'll take care of it. Can we get some aesthetics going in this place? It's it a might, podcast studio. All we need is sound. It might improve your attitude. <laughs> My attitude. All right. So what have we got on uh, tap for uh, today's podcast, Holthlaw? Today's podcast, well, uh, you know, because we're not take, doing hot takes on different issues because we're busy, just like local pastors, just like ministers everywhere. You got a lot going on. So we didn't get a jump on this. But a couple of weeks ago, a new website was launched called Church Clarity, that then uh, got picked up by Jonathan Merritt in the Religious News Services site on his, uh, I think it's his blog. He posted about it. and This is regular column. Right. And this site is uh, seeking clarity from churches on their websites. Not Merritt's site, uh, Church Clarity. Yes. Church site. It's seeking clarity by looking at uh, churches' websites to see if they post their stance on LGBTQ persons and their involvement in the church yes yeah, so uh basically this this is going to become a database that scores churches positions on the issue and rates you know each congregation's website to whether it's not only affirming of lgbtq relations or marriage but uh or non-affirming but also whether it's the website's clear or not clear so you can be affirming and not clear or you can be non-affirming and clear but you know so there's four categories and so um i uh said this on facebook which by the way you can find me at uh facebook dot wait facebook slash fitchest what's your facebook again it's jeff holsclaw and people can find oh, that's facebook really, without the website I really think. original by the way by the way uh but uh <laughs> uh, uh it's my name Talk i to said my mom this, about it <laughs> i said this on uh facebook i said church clarity asks all churches to declare their position on affirming, not affirming LGBT. In a future podcast, Theology on Mission, I hope to finally detail why I think doing this reveals a posture of Christendom. By that I mean making decisions from a hierarchy of coercive power that shuts down the work of the Holy Spirit on the ground. So, um, you know... Uh, I guess this is it. This is the podcast uh, on, on which you and I are going to talk about this and um, kind of describe the the issue for me and the issue for you. Uh, so you want to start or you want want me to start or how do you want to do this? No, I want you to start. You got your things written out. I post, already posted my thoughts online on my blog. Uh, but yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. Everybody wants to hear what Dave Fitch thinks and I can jump into, but I definitely feel that there's everybody does not want to hear what Dave Fitch thinks power power move at work here that is similar to a statement that was also recently uh, uh, 
right, you're, you're correlating this to the Nashville statement of, oh, what, two months ago. But let me just start out by saying a website. So this, this, this uh, Church Clarity website is all about uh, marketing. In fact, their opening statement talks about the expertise of the people involved in church marketing. And the website is what they're looking at. And the website is the point of entrance for the person uh, who is out there in internet, internet land. And they want, they believe that um, the, these internet websites, it's very important for them to be clear on their issues on alternative sexualities. Um, and so immediately what I'm saying here is, oh, church. Well, hold on, just a little bit more context. Uh, they're specifically rating and reviewing evangelical churches. They're doing this because they believe that there's no central place of authority, like say in the Catholic Church or other um, Anglican churches or even Episcopal churches or things like that. There's no center place for protest. And so they feel like for accountability's sake that uh, they want to score these churches to see how clear they are in stating their views. And that. Uh, and then they also talk about how they feel evangelicals engage in bait-and-switch consumer tactics where they promote or advertise themselves as one thing, but really there's something totally different. And so they're they're kind of uh, taking the, the capitalist kind of view of truth in advertising or something like that. All right, well, I just want to say I don't think it was presented as It is. A, you go look at the ho- FAQs. I, it's I, exactly like that. I have read it, and it's not as hostile as I think you're making it. They're, they're, they're saying this is not about theology. This is not about... Uh, um, uh, even policy. This is about the website's clarity on the policy. Actually, it is about policy, but it's not about the theology. It's not even about the culture of the church. It's about the policy. So um, I guess my, my first comment, since this is about Christendom for me, is church marketing for me equals Christendom. What does church marketing do? You're marketing to already existing Christians. What does Christendom assume? already existing Christians. It assumes the church. Um, it even might, you might, I might be a little more uh, nasty about this, and say it even assumes church shopping This is exactly the what, internet. But this is exactly what Church Clarity says. Just because a lot of people haven't gone and read it. Uh, it says, Many churches have avoided fully or clearly disclosing their church policies out of a desire to be, quote, seeker-sensitive, end quote. That is a desire to attract, quote, seekers and convert them into loyal, quote, customers. This capitalistic mindset is particularly dangerous in a spiritual context. That's so, what it says on the website? On the frequently asked questions. This is exactly what oh, they're saying. Boy, is I didn't that get that. It means that, Peter, that they worry that preachers will preach about being welcoming and loving no matter who they are while quietly refusing to fish yeah, away so, and things like that. So, so, they're all, so they're clearly in a consumeristic mindset. All right. Uh, but they're they're criti- criticizing the consumerist mindset there. That's what it sounded like to they're me. They're both criticizing it and buying into it through but, criticizing but, well, it they, that way. Well, I don't know that they're acknowledging that they're buying into it. So I want to say that they're assuming that the church is not a a place of transformation. It's a place of welcoming people just like me who already agree with me and we're serving the spiritual needs of those people in the best way we can. And this assumes Christians already, let's put it this way, sanctified Christians. It assumes church shopping. And that for me is the Christendom mindset. 
That's not my mindset. I'm not even at the point where maybe you are, Jeff Holesclaw, to say that's all bad. I am just saying I think the church is to be in a place of mission, opening up space for God to do something transformative in the world. And therefore, church marketing doesn't make sense to the way we engage the world. Is that a little over the top? Because I feel I can argue all day on that. No, I agree with that 100%. That whether I certainly don't think a church should be um, seeking more, uh, you know, portions of the market or uh, certainly not engaging in bait and switch tactics or even try, you know, the whole mindset is, is clearly horrible in my view. Uh, but I, I don't, I'm not sure church clarity disagrees with that mindset. They just disagree about okay, so here's what, what they're I've... going about, how they're going about doing it. But I think we, I just want to say, first of all, I don't think either of us are against being clear about uh, theological uh, convictions or practical policies. So we're not, and we certainly don't want to harm people by bait and switch tactics of any kind um, or to, you know, have potential abuse over LGBT questions or policies. Our, our concern is, is how clarity is made. Am I not right, Dave? How do we come how do we become clear about something like this? And on what stage do we do it? Is uh, it uh, is it the website? Is it something else? All right. All right. All right. So I jumped ahead. Did I jump well, your gun there? No, but but all right, I'm gonna say something that's probably gonna throw a little wrench in your whole argument. <laughs> I am not entirely sure we are clear. I'm not entirely sure we should be absolutely clear on all of what the LGBTQ IA and other sexualities are presenting the church and where we are to go with this. Okay. Uh, I am not uh, denying the uh, traditional, uh, long-held, some say orthodox position of the church in relation to same-sex relations and marriage. But what I am saying, there are so many ramifications here and there's so many complexities that we need to be on the ground and opening up space for God to do what he's going to do. And I believe, by the way, one of the things that God is calling, that God is doing, is asking the evangelical church and the Protestant church as a whole to think through what we are saying and doing with marriage, period, before we start going and telling everybody else what to do. And I believe being presented by by the multitude of questions and issues that alternative sexualities present the church today, we must open up space and ask ourselves some good, hard questions. What does it mean to be a man in this world? What it means to be a woman? What does sexuality mean? How is desire formed? How do we as a church shape desire and sexuality and marriages? I think this is a time for us to look at us and say what's going on and to then, but to just market Christianity according to some already uh, prescribed categories um, bypasses all that. So the first thing I'm trying to say is Christendom is here when we are marketing to already existing Christians a church via website preferences, and I'm against it. Let me, and let me, I'm against that too. Okay, but what about this? Let's say, uh, let's say we uh, ask everybody to uh, to articulate their position on literal seven day creation, and we want to put it in the policy statement. Okay, I am for literal seven day creation, and I am against literal. Se- so we have everybody who's for literal seven day going to these churches. Everybody's against going to these churches, and now 
We have no discussion anymore about literal seven-day creation. Everybody's figured it out, and the two shall live in opposite worlds, whereas maybe God's trying to teach us something about how he created the world. And the same thing happens with all these alternative sexual. Let's split everybody up. You who agree are over here. You who are not agreeing, don't talk to each other. I believe that's an affront to what God wants to do through the church, and I'm against it. And in essence, does a Donald Trump on the church. <laughs> that Donald Trump's on the it church. It does a Donald Trump on Isn't the church. That a conversation star- it stopper. It divides and it and it ensconces one people over here and another people over here where and, and we never have a conversation, we never get anywhere as to what God's doing in the world through these issues. So that's my first point. Now you got me all kind of I don't know. Well, I don't know if this is your point, but this is my this is my meta point uh, along with that is is for those progressives or liberals who are so upset at the conservative Christian culture wars, is this looks just exactly like the culture war from the left, is that we're going to demand that everyone articulate exactly what they think, and if they don't agree with us, then they're out. Yeah. All right, so let me move on to another another, uh, point here about Christendom, why this reeks of Christendom. By the way, Christendom's not all bad. Okay, so for you who want to go live in Christendom, you know, don't listen to me. But for those of us who want to go and engage the world for what he's doing, for justice, for for his mission to reconcile the whole world to himself, almost said, listen to me. Okay, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, I don't know if you get to decide if you want Christendom or not. The question is, is, is your context of ministry wherever you are in the cities, in the suburbs, in the north, in the south, by the coasts, are you in a Constantinian context or Christendom context, or are you not? All right, well, this will be our next uh, podcast, or at least coming shortly. Uh, okay, but here's here's what I want you to think about now. I, I want you to think about how uh, this website, um, Church Clarity, uh, gives us a set of categories, existing categories, and it assumes their language is clear. Their language is clear. Hey, you got to be clear? On my terms, our language is clear. I only gives us four options, and actually only two, and then whether you're clear or not. And it provides the frame as it is already and says, get in line with the current frame. Now, I just want to say two things. It assumes the language is clear. I don't assume the language is clear. I don't assume when everyone says the word gay or lesbian or when some somebody says bisexual. No, they there are multiple worlds, multiple language worlds, using gay, lesbian, using the various gender languages, cisgender, bigender, etc., transgender. There are multiple worlds out there, and it is not clear what we mean, but it is clear, if you're a Wittgensteinian like me, that our language forms and shapes us into who we are. And so to just lay the gauntlet down is a universal uh in universal terms. Everybody agrees with me into what these languages mean. Actually, we don't. We don't even know what you mean by the language. You just assume it. And then you need to get in line and come into uh, uh, the terms as laid down by us. And there's inherent antagonisms built in to much of the alternative sexuality language in our culture. And by buying into it or by subscribing to it on their terms, by their terms I mean the terms of the culture's terms, not the gay or lesbian community or other alternative communities' terms, but the culture's terms. We buy into the antagonisms, and the church goes to war on those bases in the same ways. Therefore, I feel it's a Christendom move to, to uh, enforce 
existing categories onto the church that need to be examined locally and contextually before we do anything. Holesclaw, bail me out here. Do you think I'm? <laughs> do you think I've gone overboard or not? No, I think you make a good point um, that the language is ambiguous um, and um, like even like the T in LGBTQ. Um, that one's debated. Is it have to do with cross-dressing? Is it those who are seeking, you know, gender transformation? Uh, that one's been in flux, although it's kind of now going toward the second one much more regularly. Um, but yeah, the, I think the language is confusing. A- and I would say, uh, and I put this out um, a couple of weeks ago, is church clarity is asking for clarity that Jesus didn't pr- often provide. Jesus goes about his ministry, and when he's asked a question, he answers it with another question. Or he refuses the terms of the debate and goes a different direction. And these are things that Jesus constantly did with the powerful, but not just with the powerful, also with those who are being oppressed. But, and but so, whenever there was power being enforced, he often just said, whoa, let's make space here. What's really going on? Let me ask more questions. And then all those power forces and antagonisms and hates come out. And once that's cleared, he's able to do what, he, what he's going to do, which is heal the world. Right. But I would, you know, I, like I'm trying to listen through, you know, somebody who's not sympathetic with our view. And it's, you know, it's it's OK for white men to question the meaning of words. But, you know, the people in the trenches, they know what these words mean or they know that, they're, that there's clarity here. And so, I, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to that charge of like we have the luxury of living without clarity and asking people to live in clarity. I don't they're think living in the midst of yeah. uh, ambiguity. Uh, and oppression all the time. And so, like, I think we do need to tend to that, but that doesn't mean that this question isn't a serious question, is that, you know, that we can't seek clarity when there isn't, where there isn't so, clarity, and to do so is a power move. Yeah. So I always try to say when I'm teaching in class or when I'm locally engaging pastoral situations, I always try to say we must learn the languages that are being spoken by the people we are with in, as you put it, in the trenches But we cannot assume from some posture of power, let's say the Protestant mainline church or the Protestant evangelical church, we cannot assume that we know the language and can speak for everybody. And this is a broad sweeping document across the entire landscape of not just evangelicals but Protestant churches, period, that wants us to all fall into line according to a given spectrum of terms that are by no means clear. So it's not clear, I don't believe. It's actually clarifying by, by enforcing sets of categories. All right, let me go on now. All right, to, let's do it. Um, this, uh, my next point. Um, when, when Christendom is at work, it seeks to, I'm now being general in, in a general statement, but um, Christendom, generally speaking, in the history, let's say of 2,000 years, actually since 313 AD or whatever the date might be, uh, Christendom, generally seeks to consolidate and preserve what already is and make it more efficient. All right, and, and, and you and I can do a podcast on Christendom and the whole Christendom problem and, and, and how historical and contextual this is. But uh, if you can take that from me, the, here's what Christendom does. It consolidates. It puts into programs. It gets the liturgy all the same. It writes the Book of Common Prayer, not that I'm against the Book of Common Prayer, or it keeps everybody together in the Latin Mass. It consolidates, and it keeps everything the same. But, but because you want to know why? It's all one world. I mean, in Europe, Euro Christendom at its height, everybody was Roman Christendom, except for maybe 
Great Britain, but even they came under Rome until Henry did his thing. And so the point is now that this is what, in essence, I believe um, church clarity, is that what it's called? Uh, um, yeah, church clarity is doing. It's enforcing categories as they are and saying this is the way they must be. And, and uh, uh, so this is the way it is. It's not affirming and or affirming. What about something happening completely new that we do not know yet and understand yet? And so back in the, when we wrote that chapter in um, Prodigal Christianity, which was taken from a series of blog posts that I was doing back in 2010 on this subject, uh, it was chapter 8 of Prodigal Christianity. Um, I, I remember in these blog posts I was going, well, it's not welcoming and affirming or welcoming and not affirming. It's welcoming and mutually transforming. And I learned that from a guy named Brad Sargent on the, on the, the old blog, but also other people. And um, so the question is, maybe God is teaching us and doing something new. I'm not denying, for those of you on the conservative spectrum, that there is some sexual morality here that God is seeking to shape and transform. But there's also something to be learned from what we're doing. As Andrew Marin has said in his book, Us Against Us, Us Versus Us, um, 86% of all gay and lesbian people, the 3,000 sampling, largest um, statistical survey ever done on gay, lesbian people groups, um, that 86% of gay and lesbian peoples, persons among us, come from churches, most of which are conservative churches. And so um, what we need to understand is that there's something for us to learn out of, out of this whole issue, not just segregating everybody into who agrees and who doesn't agree, and now we're going to go our separate ways and turn into these attractional churches that attract more people like us. And for all that, um, so, so the reason why this is Christendom, in my opinion, is it keeps things static and doesn't open up space for something new and different to happen, extending the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. And so I call that Christendom. Yeah, this the two things I'd say is you know, elsewhere in Prodigal Christianity, we talk about the process of discernment and being open to discernments and how too often the Christendom posture is to just make decisions, make decisions by those um, in power or for, uh, or for whatever reason. Uh, and Christendom has that posture of making decisions and seeking certainty. And a post-Christian or a pre-Christendom uh, mindset in which we all rely on the priesthood of all believers and the work of the Spirit um, according to the faithfulness of Scripture and the gifts of the body, at being led by Christ, all those things need to be working together as we make a discernment. And so can we be open uh, and discern these things together? I would just also add that your use of Christendom, I think sometimes a lot of people can feel that Christendom is always a conservative or a traditionalist kind of viewpoint, but it's actually liberals and progressives can also be Christendom. It's just whenever you are trying to leverage the state or the uh, or hierarchical powers and power for the, the purposes of conserving right. and consolidating the church. And I believe, by the way, uh, that pastors and elder groups that make, you know, policy decisions and then enforce them on their church congregations without a long discussion and discernment process locally. 
I know that's scary, but that in essence is much less efficient to do that. But the efficient way is Christendom. And I resent, I mean, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say such a loaded word. I resent, but I resent the fact that Christendom churches, whether Protestant mainline, whether evangelical, whether affirming or whether not affirming, I, I resent that they're doing this well. We need to make a decision for everybody because actually uh, the argument that people are being hurt is from both sides, both sides. Uh, and we need to make space to welcome and allow God to do his mutual transforming work among us. I know that this is probably going to, uh, my last uh, statement, and maybe you can you can talk a little bit about this, but I know that this, everything we've said in the last 25 minutes is probably going to, um, create more questions than the than answering questions. I know we've opened up space. I folks, that's okay. I want to disrupt and see where we as a church can come to a place where we can actually be present and engage and open up space for God to do His transforming, sanctifying work among His church and in the world. Yeah. So the the two points there. Well, the one point is the mute, the mutually transforming, and can we be open? What does that even mean? I know we say that a lot over the last couple of years and people are like, what does that really mean though? Um, and it, it just means that you have to do the work of relationships. I um, I personally, and I think all of us should be committed to relationships and clarity comes through relationships, not through websites, not through um, policies that are printed. Uh, well, who prints anything, right? So it's, it's websites. Uh, you know, but to be fair, I hear a lot of pushback as people say, hey, that kind of clarity that comes through relationships is a luxury. People um, who have been oppressed, who have been excluded and kicked out of their churches for their sexuality, they can't afford those relationships anymore and they need clarity in advance. And, you know, I say two things. One is that's horrible that people have been abused and manipulated that mm-hmm, way, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't want that for anybody. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think we can both agree with that. Yes. Um, but I'm not sure that the Jesus way is to then write policies in response. I don't think th- the problem of broken relationships is no longer having relationships and creating policies on websites. In other it's words, to have the, redeemed relationships, and you could only do that together. In other words, the Jesus way is not to uh, use power and policy. Uh, in the same way that it was used to abuse people the first time, to not use policy and power in the same way to undo the abuse because we need the church to be renewed. And as I've said before, there might not be a more uh, abused, victimized group of people in the United States of America than the LGBTQ communities, especially from whence they've come within the church. And now's the time to respond and open up space and make, make way for his presence and his love and his healing grace and his work of renewal. And um, I know that sounds pie-in-the-sky idealistic, but man, have I seen it in the few times uh, I've seen those spaces opened up, and I'm hungering for more. So w- the challenge of the church today is how do we become these spaces of healing, reconciliation, of the presence of Christ amidst the hurt of the alternative sexuality world. Not by enforcing uh, a policy so that you are with like-minded people, because sometimes that's as fake and inauthentic and lack of transformative as, uh, you know, um, 
well, that's just as, as anything that we could, else we could imagine. But no, uh, we, want, we need to call the church to be the church. Amen. Well, our time is about upon us. We don't have time for Fitch, Fitch versus Fitch, which I'm sure you're bummed out about. Really relieved right now, yes. Yeah, you're relieved, but all of our listeners whom we love, thank you so much for spending your time with us every week. They're all bummed, though. Uh, I doubt But it. we have some news coming up about our lectureship that comes around every year, so stay tuned for that. Hopefully, in the next week or two, we'll be able to make a great announcement. But who is really quick coming next year? Soon Chen Ra is going to be our guest lecturer. Uh, that'll be June 2018. Early June. But we have some other bigger news which about that lectureship and the lectureship moving forward that we hopefully can I announce don't know soon. we're going to be able to announce that for at least another month. Wow, that's a tease. There we go. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, this is Jeff Falsclaw. This is Dave Fitch, Theology on Mission podcast. We'll see you same time next week. Same station? Is this a station? It's uh, depending on your podcast player. All right, same I, I, app. From the Griffith Sound <laughs> Studios, Northern Seminary. See you, everybody.